right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nicholas Springer. Hey. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and we're going to be breaking down KUTCU all throughout the show. The Chiefs officially know their playoff path. We'll get to that. NFL Monday over reactions. College football playoff national title games tonight. We'll preview that a little bit. Uh, some KU football news over the weekend. They got a commit from a four-star recruit in the class of 2025 and some other transfer portal news around that. We got some audio to get to, so should be a fun show. It is a cold, wet snowy snow winter day is coming down baby it is absolutely coming down and i don't like it i don't like it i know i don't know why you're like this that's you're just wrong you like this you enjoy this this is great yeah you're a sicko no so i've explained this to you many times if it's going to be cold outside it might as well be snowy makes way more fun totally disagree because i had to go no weather worse than like 25 degrees Cloudy and windy. No. It's horrible. Snow Give is me worse. some snow to make it a little bit more fun. Because guess what? I had to go half the speed limit when I was driving everywhere today. <laughs> That's what sucks about it. Uh, by the way, I should mention, this is going to be my last show of the week. Yeah. Um, this is almost like you know I'm, I'm a kid on the last day of school about to go into summer break, except instead of going and enjoying the beach and enjoying you know the summer weather and hanging out with friends... I'm going to be not getting any sleep and taking care of a little infant baby. Uh, yes, so, expectant uh, father, Derek Johnson. Similar but different. Yeah, so uh, Nick you. will have you covered the rest of the week. So yeah, no, it's I'm very exciting. Yeah, congratulations, obviously, and uh, you know, hope everything goes well. Be thinking about you and your family, making sure everything's everyone's healthy afterwards. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. All right, well, uh, with that being said, let's get into the action. KU takes down TCU 83-81. to Final score in Allen Fieldhouse. And it was a honestly a, a very entertaining game. Yes. It was back and forth. It was chaotic. I mean, it KU's was, largest lead was what six when it yeah. was twenty four eighteen. I don't know what TCU's largest was, maybe five or something like that. Um, back and forth game. There were over twenty lead changes. It never felt felt like either team could really sustain enough or string enough together like stops yeah. to get that big lead going the whole way through. The weird part about this is we talked about TCU being a really fast-paced team. They're one of the fastest-playing offense teams in the country. This was actually like a bottom-half tempo game for KU this season. But neither team could really stop the other. Hunter Dickinson was unbelievable, 30 points. He was unstoppable. It was really the big three for KU. I mean, Dewan Harris had 10 points and hit some big shots for you, so that did counter in. But, you know, Kevin had had kind of a quiet 16, but still hit some big shots for you. K.J. Adams was fantastic. Hunter Dickinson was kind of unstoppable but yeah i mean overall a, a very interesting and i guess entertaining game yeah it was chaotic it was hectic it was it was in, pretty incredible yeah i mean back and forth uh i was there in outfield house it was hot not just because of the action on the court but because 
It's always hot in there. Okay, wait. So. I have a question real quick. Because we've what? talked about this before last year, and we haven't brought it up since because they've won the last couple games you've been at. That's correct. There was the previous Nick Springer curse of yeah, the so basically, games that you went to. Yeah, basically between like 2017 and 2019-ish, uh, every, every game that I went to, KU would lose. Or I should say like... I was at every game that KU lost, yeah. lose, lost, basically. Which, again, which like, the... You know, if you go... you know, and I, of that. And I, I wasn't going to every game. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, to your point, I mean... Bill Self wins they 95% lose, of his They lose maybe once or twice a year mm-hmm. at home, if that. Uh, so, in many years, they don't lose at all at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I was there for a couple... Uh, you know, I was there for Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Arizona State. I was even at the T-Mobile Center when they lost to Washington. <laughs> I was there for Texas Tech also. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You were at the Arkansas loss, correct? Yes, I was looking okay. at the Arkansas loss. Uh, last year, I don't that remember. Doesn't really ever... count, though. I mean, the Arkansas loss uh-huh. is okay. Tournament. Okay, doesn't really count. Uh, last year of the game, I was you at went Southern to, Utah. You were at Southern Utah, <laughs> which they almost wait, lost. Utah, no, Southern Utah. Southern Utah, right? Utah. Not Utah Valley. No, nope, okay, not I got Utah right. Valley. Southern nope. Utah. Yeah, I was there for that one. You which obviously one? that one was stressful. Uh, and then I was at the game, and then I was I was at um, oh gosh, I went to a conference game in there last year, I think, right? Yeah, but I went to a game earlier this season too. Okay. I've actually been to this was my third game this season. But if you I, said you went to I'm Eastern blanking. Illinois, no, I didn't go to Eastern. Okay, Illinois. no, I went to uh, I went to, I went to Wichita State. I was at Team Olsen. Okay, I went to Wichita that was State. Good, and I was at the Yale game. I think. Hmm. Hmm. Wait, what day was the Yale game? Was that a Saturday? December. No, no was I Friday. wasn't there at the Yale game. I went to the. I went to the, like oh, I went to the Manhattan game. Okay. Way back. So that was a good one. Way back. So I don't know. Maybe, I maybe, maybe, maybe the track record is good enough, but there, there are still better. a lot of a lot of suspicious games that even when they didn't <laughs> win, they, they won a lot closer than they needed to. I don't know, man. I think the Nick Springer curse is something to keep an eye out the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I I feel vindicated in that it's broken, okay. but I, I understand if you if you mm-hmm. think it's not. No, I was at the Missouri game, too. Mm. So there you go. That was uh, another game where they, well, they won easily. Didn't you leave after the first, like, 10 minutes when... Things were going bad in the Missouri and game. They played better after you left. No, no, I'm you're making joking. that up. I'm joking. No. <laughs> well, first of all, I couldn't leave if I wanted to because we were packed in there like sardines. Yeah. So, but yeah, I was there. Uh, it was the atmosphere was pretty good. <clears throat> it was it was a fun game. Uh, like you said, back and forth. Ku ended up getting the win, and you know we talked about it quite a bit on on Friday about the idea of well, TCU. They are a fast paced team. They like to turn you over. That's kind of their recipe for success, and that's probably you know if maybe they can run again and but also at the same time felt like KU was a more athletic team than they were last year so maybe they were more better equipped to to kind of go back and forth with with TCU and I think from TCU's perspective basically everything that they probably hoped would happen did happen in this game they shot the ball very well and they had a guy in Tennyson go off from three a guy who had only scored over only scored double digits in three other games this season hadn't hit more than three threes in a game he he has six right and uh, and it wasn't like it was on one guy. It didn't seem to matter who KU. Threw no, out. I actually logged it. I, I yeah. didn't get every single point. Um, I I watched the game twice over the weekend. I rewatched just highlights earlier today before the show. So I only saw. Tw- I I only went back and found I think twenty four of his points. He only had this is most of them. Twenty four is what he had. Oh, okay, then I did see all of them. Yeah. So here's who scored them on. Three on Dewan. Two on Dewan. Two on El Marco, three on Furphy, three on Adams, three in transition. Furphy was the closest with the hand up. Three on Timberlake, two on Dewan, three on El Marco. So it was, I guess, mostly on the two lead guards with Dewan and El Marco, but it was on everyone. Nobody could stop the dude. Yeah. So TCU, and uh, you know, it's kind of funny actually. 
a lot of cave fans will say, oh my gosh, here we go again. Some random guy who sucks will suddenly make a bunch of threes. He was right? shooting over 40% coming in. Yeah, he had been a pretty good shooter. And but and to the end, even furthermore, it wasn't like TCU made a lot of threes in the game. They only made eight yeah. as a team. I mean, Tennyson made Tennyson made six, but yeah, they only made two him, others. They were two of twelve. Yeah. 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 I mean, Jerry Nelson was 0-4. And KU made six. So the, the three-point discrepancy was not that significant. But again, I think from T from TCU's perspective, pregame. Jamie Dixon was probably thinking, okay, if we can shoot the ball pretty well, which they did, they did shoot the ball pretty well, force a lot of turnovers, they did. They actually, KU doubled them up. KU had double the amount of turnovers that TCU had. KU had 18, TCU had 9. And play the game at a higher at a higher tempo, which they did, then you would think, okay, TCU has a pretty good chance to win. Oh, narrator, by the way, they did have a pretty good chance to win, and they probably should have won mm-hmm. in some situations. Uh, so it, it's, it's fascinating how that played out because – this was really an A plus game from TCU, and obviously KU still came out on top. Does that? I guess you can look at that in a couple different ways. Is that okay? Well, you know, maybe this is a TCU team that's not that good, and they just happen to play at their ceiling for one game, and maybe that you know maybe they're not going to be that good going forward. Or maybe you could say, well, wow, maybe TCU is a little bit better than we thought, and or or maybe KU you know didn't play as well or whatever. But outside, I mean, and I think the three guys for KU that you mentioned the scoring wise played great. I have some concerns about Dewan in terms of his turnovers, and obviously you didn't get much else from beyond that from your bench. Uh, I did think it was interesting at one point in the game. Bill Self seemingly just decided, you know what, I'm not playing any of my freshmen. He took them all out for multiple minutes. In fact, in the second half, so Bill Self he subs Jamari McDowell in. Hmm. Jamari McDowell gets the ball and immediately double dribbles, and immediately comes out. I mean, he was probably in the game for eight seconds, seriously, of game time. Gets the ball, double dribbles, out. See ya. And then he and then he rolled with the lineup with Timberlake in there for a, a while, uh, while not playing any of his freshmen, uh, which which I think was was kind of interesting. Now he ended up going back to his freshmen. I think Furphy was actually played a pretty significant role down the stretch in in the game on the floor for KU. But there was a, a moment in there where Self was clearly trying to send a message to his young players uh, about you know whatever about playing in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, so, 35 minutes for Dickinson, 37 for KJ, 38 for Kevin, 39 for Dwan. Yeah. That's a lot. So, I mean, I, I don't know. There, there were points in that game where I did kind of, uh, there was a thought in my mind where I was like, this is really just three guys versus TCU. But I, then again, like, I, I don't know how to, the Dwan Harris stuff is very interesting, I guess, right? Uh, 10 points, good. Eight assists, good. Yeah. So what? Right. So what? Now they're twenty nine and one when he scores double digits yeah, or whatever. That's all great. He hit that late shot. Awesome. Five turnovers though. That's a career high. You know, in a game yeah. where you really needed somebody to and settle. Yeah, things he down, did. Right? He did not control the no. tempo of the game at all. Um, I mean that that game was played. TCU, I felt like was the team controlling the tempo of mm-hmm. the game throughout. So I don't know how to how to determine. Which again, that. KU, but, but the the thing is like. TCU controlled the tempo of the game throughout, and yet KU matched them and, and obviously ended up winning the game. Sure. And then also you look at the bench. Yeah, overall, it's not a ton of production. Then again, Timberlake and Furphy at least both hit a big three. And, like, if you look at Timberlake and Furphy's combined stats, 21 minutes, 9 points, 4 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block on 3 of 5 shooting. Like, that's that's solid. You not know? bad. So I, I don't know. It's it's kind of weird how the others, I guess, quote-unquote, uh, played in this game. Certainly it felt like a step back from Marco Jackson yeah. after the Wichita State game. Well, Certainly, one like thing, you said, McDowell didn't really get long run. One thing I want to say about Marco Jackson, 
one of his, I guess, best attributes or what we believe to be one of his best attributes is his explosiveness. It's kind of like a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. This is now. There's now been multiple games and multiple situations where Almarco has done this where if he gets the ball in transition, it's like he's just seeing red. And he just he, it doesn't matter what's going on. He just drives straight to the basket. One on four, one on three, whatever. Uh, and I, I don't I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to make of that. Well, and there I were mean, a couple times even in half court where he drove, and I actually liked the the process because I think in the half court more, I want to see the athleticism more. You're right in the full court. There have been times where, and he even had a crazy layup that he made in Wichita State in the situation, but in yes, the half court. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, sometimes it has still worked right. out, but it's, it's the been no, 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 yes. kind of reckless. I right. Think. Well, in, in the half court, though, there were a couple times where I actually did like, I was like, okay, he drove, he got into the lane, he got into the paint, and then kicked the ball out, or maybe missed a layup, and I was like, okay, that's actually a good process, but it's, it's like, I, I remember vividly, there was one time where he drove in, got a paint touch on the dribble drive, and then he kicked it out, but do you know who he kicked it out to from three? He I, didn't take the three. <laughs> KJ Adams. Okay. So it's like good process, but it's like that's not going to lead to anything. Yeah, You can drive and penetrate and drive and kick, but if you're kicking to somebody who's not shooting a three, it it, it just didn't matter, right? Yeah. So it's like there, there's some process that's there that I still like, but yeah, for the overall, and then and then I, I think the second half of the game he just kind of washed away. And yeah, uh, I, I just I just thought that he there were moments where he kind of played exactly into TCU wanted into exactly mm-hmm. what TCU wanted, which was got really sped up and just kind of like I said recklessly either drove in transition into a disadvantageous situation or did or something else like that. Uh, to where I just, I don't know. Because, again, there's been other situations like against Wichita State where you see him make a huge dunk in transition, and you're like, wow, that was sweet. Mm-hmm. But then other times it just feels like maybe the the processing isn't fully there. It's just that when he – because I think, I think at times El Marco just really wants to utilize his athleticism because I think he understands that that's kind of the, what he brings to the table that maybe not none of the, none of the other starters bring. But I wonder if sometimes he gets maybe overzealous in his attempt to just try to say, okay, I'm, I'm an athlete. I can go make this play. I'm going to go do it, whatever, in transition. Yeah. I really thought for me that, well, one KU the game, it was the offensive rebounding, though. I mean, you, you ended up getting about 48% of your own misses on offense. That's the best mark of the season. TCU came in, really good rebounding team. Yeah. You had way too many turnovers. You made up for it a bit by getting all of those offensive rebounds. And I, I would just say this, like that's that's to me how Kansas is a Final Four national title winner. Um, they shoot threes proficient enough. They don't take them at a super high volume, and it does lead to some spacing issues. So the way that they can become an efficient enough offense with what they do defensively is by winning the possession game. Getting offensive rebounds and not turning it over. Now, you did turn it over too much in this one, but you got offensive rebounds. Now, you're also not going to get offensive rebounds that high of a rate every game. But that was really good to see because it was against a defensive uh, rebounding team in TCU that does a good job. They do a good job on both ends of the floor. I I just hope that can continue. You know, when when we talk about Big 12 play, and and maybe K.J. Adams is the difference there. You look at the last two games, KU's rebounded really well. Well, K.J. Adams has 21 rebounds over the last two games. Like, maybe that's the key for Kansas. I I know it sounds silly to be like, what's the key for offense? It's not somebody shooting the ball. It's somebody grabbing the rebounds. But I kind of think that is the case, right? It just maximizes their possessions. All right, we got to talk about the flaker foul. Yeah, we do have to talk about it. At the end of the game. We we went a long time without talking about it. That obviously... Uh, from a national perspective, a that of, probably was the headline from this game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Hunter Dickinson, you know, going for the rebound. Here's Ernest Uday. 
it would appear as though he swings the elbow kind of into the into the chin slash face of Dickinson. Yep. Dickinson crumples as if he got shot. I thought our season was over. I'm watching him <laughs> writhe around on the ground. I'm like, did he just what just happened to him? Is the season over? Mm-hmm. Then he's fine. And then you get the review. And, you know, they're showing the replay on the video board now on Fieldhouse. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I can't really see. Uh, they go with the flagrant call. And obviously that helps KU because it was 79-77 at that point. TCU was in it was was in transition. They had a run out. They were probably going to score mm-hmm. to make it a two possession game, and instead it's a flagrant, two free throws for KU. Hunter Dickinson makes both the games tied, and they get the ball back again. And then Dwan Harris scores to make it 81-79. So obviously a game defining sequence. I kind of feel like it was the right call. I mean, it seems as though he pretty clearly swung the elbow and hit him in the hit him in the face, chest area, and this is not a situation of that happening where it's Ernest Uday battling with a guy who's 6'4", and because the guy's short, he just happened to hit him in the face with his elbow. Hunter Dickens is 7'2", <laughs> so you don't hit a guy in the, in the in the chin area with an elbow unless you are, you know, inadvertently swinging it mm-hmm. kind of high, right? So, I, I did feel like it was the right call, and I... And, I feel like that's a call where if it happens with 10 minutes left in the second half or something, it's probably not talked about as much. But obviously, given the circumstances, given the fact that it really did significantly help KU, uh, immediately, you know, all the people were, Oh, KU gets all the calls in Allen Fieldhouse. Oh, it's 8 on 5 out there. All those people are really upset about it. And my response is, cry more. Cry harder. Yeah, so I mean, there's a couple things to, to go through here. The whole idea of, oh, this is always, you know, KU gets all these calls, yada, yada, yada. Go look back at the foul discrepancy for teams home and away. Yes, like every team gets more when they're home than they are on the road. KU is not at the top of the list in the Big 12. Second of all, um, does KU win that game without the flagrant? There's a chance they do. Oh, They'd yeah, be they down could. the two. But realistically, TCU would have been in a great position to win the game. For sure. That said, you know, like, the flagrant doesn't necessarily impact him getting the rebound, but you still did it, and um, I do agree by the letter of the law, it is the right call. If if TCU was the team that got hit in the face and the roles were reversed and Hunter Dickinson was doing the hitting, all Kansas fans probably right now would be like, that's soft, but all TCU fans would be like, that's the letter of the law. It is really one of those things where it is kind of on the borderline. And so for that standpoint, I don't know that there should be the fuss about it because this is just borderline. Like, it's one thing when somebody misses something that is super egregious. Like, I go back to, like, the Packers, the pass interference on MVS. That was egregious. That should have been called. (laughs) This was something where you can argue it both ways. And so if you can argue it both ways, it does become kind of a judgment call. And it's like, why are we getting our panties in a wad for something that is kind of a coin flip call? Because here's the end of it. Listen, the the Oscars are coming up. And uh, Hunter Dickinson Dickinson told it. Without him selling it, I don't know if they get the call, right? Or I don't know if they stop it. He might might deserve a nomination. um, I'll say this. uh, I guess... I don't know, after the game, Bill Self said it was, so I I, I guess you trust him. Um, When you look at, like, I don't know, like, it's just one of those weird things with the, when it happened specifically, if that happens two minutes into the game, people obviously aren't really talking about it as much, and I just, 
I think over the course of the long haul of the Big 12, you're going to have so many close games. You're going to have... You're going to have games that go like this against KU. It might not be a flagrant call, but there's probably going to be a game in there that KU goes on the road. Who knows? Maybe it's on Wednesday night at UCF, right? Yeah, chances are it would be a different game, but still. <laughs> right? Maybe it's maybe it's when you're playing at Baylor or at Texas or whatever. There's probably going to be a call that you disagree with that happens with two minutes left in the game or something like that, and you lose by three points, and you're like, well, if that call didn't happen, we it just happens. In close games, it well, just happens. And also, there's the other idea where it's like, okay, but if we're just going to look at one call, why don't we look at everything else? There was the play with like two and a half minutes left where K.J. Adams gets called for a foul on Emmanuel Miller that clearly nothing happened, right? There's so many things you can look at that this is why I just hate having to talk about refs because I think it is pointless <laughs> with the exception oh, yeah. of if it's a Saints-Rams-NFC championship situation, right? That level of play, I think it's worth it, but it's just like, these things balance out, whether it's over the course yeah. of the season, whether it's over the course of the game that you don't remember from earlier. And again, it is a 50-50 call. That was not clear as day one way or another, in my opinion. So let's not like get overly disgusted about it. Yeah, that that is definitely one of my things that I always say is over the course of the game, over the course of the season, generally speaking, this type of stuff tends to balance itself out. You're going to get some calls. You're going to get some calls to go against you. Mm-hmm. That's just how things work. That's just how it shakes out. Uh, and wasn't it, like I said, wasn't unfortunate. Like, obviously, you never want it to happen where it kind of decides the game, which, again, this didn't decide the game. It obviously benefited KU significantly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I tend to think that it was the, the correct call. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, this is kind of the way sports are right now, mm-hmm. where when you have broadcasts that have 17,000 TV angles, uh, where you know, there's only f- three refs on the court. They don't. They can't see everything. You know, it just they, these things. They 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 tend to happen, and uh, it helped KU there certainly to get their uh, 33rd consecutive conference opening win. And uh, I I just wonder if a game like this is maybe a bit of a wake up call for some of the new players on the team. Guys, uh, I, mean, I mean, Hunter Dickinson obviously had a big game, but even Hunter like Hunter Dickinson. The freshmen, uh, Nick Timberlake, guys like that, to where it's, you know, we we talk about it. The Big Twelve is the best basketball conference in the country. There's a reason why we say that. There's a reason why yeah. we say that so confidently. It's because year in and year out, it's true. Year in and year out, every single game, you're going to be in a fight. And this is a perfect example. TCU. Would it shock anybody if TCU finishes like six and twelve in conference or seven and eleven in conference? No, because I, I no. think they're a good team and they played. You said earlier a plus game. Yeah, they played very well. Yeah, but again, would it shock anybody if they are a sub-500 conference team? No, it wouldn't. And they took you to the wire at Allen Fieldhouse, right? That That's going to happen. You're going to have, and especially when you're at Kansas, guess what? You are getting everybody's best shot night in and night out. So you have to be prepared for that. And I think, if anything, maybe this was a game where it's an opportunity, and maybe that was Bill, kind of Bill Self's message to when he was kind of taking out the freshman of, listen, you might have been able to waltz in against Yale and against Manhattan, and even against a Wichita State and like a Missouri, and just kind of get in there and, and get the job done. In the Big 12, even against the middle of the pack teams, you got to be locked in. Yeah, you got to be turned on. You got to be ready to play. And one of the things that about Bill Self that I think I've always admired is, and again, he did this against CCU. He's not afraid to pull guys. He's not afraid to say, "You can go on the bench." You know, because if you're not going to play at this level. Yeah. 
No, I, I think it's uh, very well put. Uh, by the way, I do have a wonder. We've said this the past couple of years. Athletic teams are bad matchups for KU. Kind of makes me think that might be the case again after the TCU game. Uh, Kansas is also trying to prove Ken Palm wrong this year. They fell again in Ken Palm after after winning their 17th. But uh, BYU, who was the Ken Palm darling, loses in the Big 12 opener. So Yeah, Nick Palm says that KU is, is fine. He's good. And Nick Palm says that BYU sucks. <laughs> there we go. Bottom line, you survived. Any win is a good win in this version of the Big 12. But maybe don't have to win off a flagrant foul on Wednesday against UCF. I think uh, everybody would be happy with that. Yeah, UCF may or may not stink. But again, it's on the road. Big 12. Everything's tough. True. Yeah, no, it's true. I, guess, I just got done, I just got really done really saying how great the Big 12 is. And <laughs> I'm saying, oh, UCF sucks. Yeah. Central Florida, by the way. Biggest hypocrite? Yeah. Me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Central Florida, yeah. by the way. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's get to our hit of the week. I think you can guess what it'll be. Coming up on the other side of KLWN, depending on. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. An update as Lawrence Public Schools has canceled all after school and evening activities for the day. And the Boys and Girls Club of Lawrence is requesting that families plan to pick up their club members from the after school program as early as possible. Um, the school board is going to meet at 6 p.m. for an abbreviated session. Um, and the graduation requirements portrait of graduate report has been postponed until the board's January 22nd meeting. Also, the Lawrence Public Library is closing at 5 p.m. today due to the inclement weather. So there's some uh, local updated news for you to keep an eye on. Are right, we going to get to some KU football news coming up later this hour? Before we do that, our Rock Chalk Pickahawk recap. Before we get into the Rock Chalk Pickahawk <laughs> recap, we have to recap what happened on uh, Friday. So on Friday... We were about to do Rock Chalk Pick Hawk. I had the first pick. Nick had the second pick. And Nick yeah. rudely interrupted me and said, no. no, I have the first pick. No, 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 no. Okay. That's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. You do not believe that I had the first pick. I just simply asked a question. No. It yes. was more than that. No, you I just asked a question. You did not believe it. You did not believe I had the first pick. So much so that you were willing to protest <laughs> the matchup, that you would not let me have it, that even when I offered you the first pick, you would not take it because you thought it was messing with... The order and that it was an affront. No, yeah, it would not have been right for me to take the first okay. pick for you to just offer. So what happened was <laughs> I said, I will do pick a hawk, but because you have made me, and I the whole time was being a gentleman, I said that <laughs> um, I just want you to say, I will do it, but I just want you to say that I am not at fault if I am wrong with the order. Which I did say. That, that I acknowledged that maybe I did make a mistake. Which I made it clear no. that I was okay with that, but that not. this is not a court of law. I can't just, I don't yeah, have see, the authority. This is what you're doing. No, I don't have the authority. Because you to, wanted to have a loophole on Monday no, if I messed no, it up. No, there's no loophole. That, first of all, there's nothing. There's no loophole on anything. Now, see, this it's is what just, you want to do. I don't have the authority to, have to make that claim. Because you wouldn't actually make a definitive statement. So I said that if I win this game with the first pick, and I am right... Then I get two wins out of it. Went back, reviewed the tape. I was right. I did have the first pick. I was supposed to have the first pick, yeah. and I did have the first pick. Yeah. So look at that. It worked out. It did work out. No problem. Now I got two wins out of it. No issue. No, because, because no, now that it's fine, I, I think there, it should just be one. Nope. I killed no you issue. 26 to negative 17. Hunter Dickinson got me 22. Parker Brown got zero. Johnny Furphy got five. Jamari McDowell had negative one. You had negative 17. The rare game where Kevin McCuller had a negative. He had yeah. negative three. 
Yeah. KJ Adams was great for you, though. Nine points. Uh, this is a bad one, though. Uh, Marco Jackson had minus 16. Yeah. And then Dewan Harris had negative seven. Yeah. yeah. So I'm now 11 and six with the double win. <laughs> and you are now six and 11. <laughs> okay. Can we? I'll trade this out if we take away the exhibition wins. No, you're just trying to take away free wins from me. No, Why? I'm not. You're taking away wins from me either way. If we take out the exhibition wins, you lose one win. I'd lose two. No, because you would still have two from this. You see what I'm saying? But that's only one extra. What do you mean? I don't know how to explain simple math to you in that. No, if so, if you take what out is, the two exhibition games, but you still have this. Okay, how many exhibition here, games were there? Two. There was two. Okay, there was two. Yes. How many extra wins did I get out of this? One. Okay. Did you see? We how only lose those, one game. I, I okay. No, we're not doing that because the exhibition games did matter, just as this matters. So I'm 11 and 6. You made your bed. Now sleep in it. All right, we got to do our hit of the week. Terrible. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. All right, the options for the hit of the week. Uh, there were a couple big threes that KU hit. Yep. Johnny Murphy. <clears throat> Nick Timberlake, Kevin McCuller yep. in the first half. KJ Adams had a couple nice dunks. Yeah, Hunter uh, he Dickinson had a, big, had a nice... There was a big alley-oop mm-hmm. from Kevin McCuller at midcourt. That's right. Uh, Hunter Dickinson had a put-back dunk. But none of those... I mean, were as consequential yeah. to the game than one Ernest Uday Jr. elbow slamming into the... Fa- mm-hmm. Well, I, I shouldn't say slamming. I should say uh, hitting Hunter Dickinson in... The face. Yeah. He, there, there's not even an equivalent like that in like a real road incident. It'd be like somebody having a passenger get out of the car with a baseball bat and hitting the car behind him somehow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, you know? But that, that's that got to be the one. I mean, yeah, it no, changed the no, game. It really did. Yeah, no, was down to, it was, it two, was, it two was the ball. literally and metaphorically the hit of the game. Yeah. Easily. Changed the game. Hunter Dickinson so, sold it. Hunter Dickinson was the guy who, you know, he he gets it's a slight rear end, and instead of just having he like you know, face cordial, the steering wheel and yeah, like, instead of having dude. cordial, hey, we'll exchange you know insurance and and we'll get this handled and everything. He's like, oh man, I think I broke my back. I'm gonna have to go to the hospital and yeah. all this stuff when he's yeah. he's fine. And you're gonna have to pay yeah. for it. Exactly, <laughs> that's what happened there. But with Pearson collision, so that's a winner, right? So okay, question. Yeah, we've been obviously tracking like who who gets it. Oh, who, who gets, gets this, this? That's a good question. Does, I mean, do we, we give it to Ernest? I think we do give it to Ernest. I mean, he's the one who did the hit. He's the one who perpetrated the hit. I know. Or took the hit. Correct. We don't give it to the person who takes the hit. We give it sure. to the... Fine. Okay. Put him on the board. All Ernest right. Uday. Ernest Uday. Back from, back from the grave. We didn't think that Ernest Uday yep. would, would win any of these or, yep. or win any awards for KU this year, but congrats. We didn't he's think that Ernest Uday would make a consequential play that would favor KU he in a game. Not. And sure enough, he did. Do you think Ernest Uday is has a, a wink and a nod, handshake agreement with KU? He was just like, hey, I'm going to transfer to TCU. I'm going to get more playing time this year. Hunter maybe goes pro at the end of the year. Then I'll transfer back, you know, unlimited transfers, and I'll help you guys beat us when we play TCU. Mm. Maybe that's what happened. That is an interesting theory. Mm. Interesting theory. Hat time. Pearson knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th and Connecticut in Lawrence. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Some KU football news over the weekend, including a new shiny four-star commit for the class of 2025. We'll discuss that next on RCST with KLWN. Depend on it.
Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Some KU football news from over the weekend. The uh, most pertinent is Malachi Curvy, which that's a great name. Good name. Yeah, good name. He is committed to the University of Kansas for the class of 2025. He's listed, depending where you look, athlete, linebacker. Some schools were even recruiting him as a defensive end. It sounds seems, like KU wants him at yeah, linebacker. as a linebacker. Yeah. 6'3, 218 pounds. Some sites have him listed at 6'4. Some sites have him at closer to 200 pounds. Um, either way, you know, long, lengthy, rangy athlete. Yeah. And he is ranked 278th in the country on the 24 7 composite as the number 14 athlete. Basically, everywhere you look, he's either a high end three star or a, uh, a four star. I think one site has him as like a top 100 recruit in the country. He's yeah. from Waukee, Iowa where he picked KU over like Iowa State, Kansas State, Missouri, Iowa, so uh, a lot of local schools in there. His dad actually played defensive line at Iowa State, so that yeah. makes it even, uh, I guess, crazier, so to speak, that the KU would get him. This is a really nice pickup for the KU defense. Yeah, shout out to Kevin Flaherty, who pointed out that uh, his dad actually was a, like you said, he was a D-tackle, I believe, at Iowa State, and actually had a, a forced fumble, I think, against mm. Kansas in like 2004 that actually helped Iowa State beat Kansas. But now uh, his son coming to KU. Yeah, so. Malachi can return the favor. Yeah, so uh, definitely a good commit. And when you think about the position that KU wants him at, linebacker, that's a position that is out of need, right? Now, obviously, this is a kid for 2025, so not gonna be it's gonna be a while until right. you get him in. But but that's a position where I think it's it's become clear that linebacker is a position where you want to have strong depth uh, of talented players. So well, think uh, about like the. The different positions on the field, KU has obviously supplanted everywhere with the transfer portal, but a lot of what KU has position by position, you can say it's homegrown talent. doesn't mean it's all been Lance Leipold, recruited players, but they're the ones that at least developed them or the last miles they were recruited, whatever it was, like yeah. receiver position. Those guys are all homegrown, you know, your, your starters yeah. out there. Uh, Jalen Daniels, homegrown uh, in terms of... Um, being in in the staff and just kind of developing with what you have, Devin Devin Neal, uh, homegrown, Daniel Highshaw, homegrown. You look at the offensive line. Yeah, you brought in some transfers there with you know Pooney and Nowitzki and stuff. But Ford and Nowitzki were basically homegrown for the staff between Buffalo and here at Kansas. Sure. Um, you look at what Calvin Clements is going to eventually be, and Bryce Cable do homegrown. Uh, you look at you know the the secondary with all the corners you have, whether it's guys you you have as young freshmen in there, or Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson, and Kenny Logan. Right, you have so many homegrown guys. The linebacker spot has been the one where that's kind of not really been the case, you know? Like Rich Miller, I guess homegrown to the same extent of Buffalo guy, then long time at Kansas, but like yeah. in Taiwan Berryhill a little bit, but Berryhill's really struggled. And you've had to add a lot of guys there in that room that some have hit, some haven't. Like you have Eric Gilliard, Lorenzo McCaskill, right? Um, Cornell Wheeler was brought in from Michigan. JV Brown was bought, brought in from Bowling Green. And so it, it, Craig Young from Ohio State. 
that's been the one position where you're looking to add more homegrown talent. And I think they're on the right step because you have Logan Brantley coming into the program. Yeah. Uh, this next year, you've got a couple guys that, you know, one of them's going to play the uh, Hawk yeah. with Jonathan Kamara. Yeah. You got Ja'Cory uh, Stewart. Ja'Cory Stewart coming in. And yeah. now you bring him on that they're starting to bring in more of that homegrown talent. I think the linebacker. And when you look at Kirby, I, I think because of his versatile player, it sounds like he's a good pass rusher, his defensive end in high school. Maybe they even use him like a JB Brown. You know, we've seen JB Brown play linebacker and then on pass situations, sometimes they'll move him down to defensive end. I think it gives you a lot of options with what you can do with him. And this gives you your second commit in the class of 2025, joins yeah. David McComb, who uh, I think on ESPN, both really McComb. Shot up, yeah, McComb has really shot yeah. up a lot of boards. McComb and Curvy are both top 300 recruits on ESPN. So it's it's a great start for the class of 2025. We've talked a lot about that class of 2024 was about as good as it's been at KU. Yeah. And you might be starting off to basically double down on what you just did this next year with that class of 2025, which is very exciting. Yeah, and I think something else about this uh, is, and we saw it last, we saw it this this previous recruiting cycle with KU, where it seems to me that KU and Lance Leipold's recruiting strategy is get out and get guys committed early, and then focus on retaining. Right? I mean, you look at what KU did in the twenty twenty four class; like ninety five percent of the guys were committed by the end of July, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so now you see already you've got two commitments now, and, and I think that I wonder if that's by design. If KU's like, hey, you know what? Let's we 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 want to be a program that's proactive and gets out and, and gets with kids early and tries to get them locked down early and then focus on retaining instead of instead of you know you see a lot of especially at some of the bigger programs a lot of guys flipping back and forth right on signing day crazy things happening it seems like KU wants to be kind of a program that's hey you know what let's get our guys as early as we can and then then let's focus on you know continuing to retain them and everything and and that way we can have uh, maybe a less stressful signing day like they did this like they did with 2024 right because again you had 95 percent of your guys committed by july yeah it's a good spot to be in when you are able to to kind of do that stuff so uh certainly they have more work to do on the transfer portal and in that class of 2025 because i think it'll be a little bit deeper a little bit more players when you look at the seniors graduating this year compared to last year but those are uh, a first two. And and uh, by the way, I saw there was a really cool quote from him that he gave to Jayhawk Slant with John Kirby. And he was basically like, I don't want to enter the transfer, but like I, I want when I go to a place, I want to be there. And you don't always see that from high school kids. And who knows if that actually ends up happening, because I'm sure a lot of kids do end up saying that before they go to a school and then situations happen. Maybe sure. they don't get along with a coach. Yeah. or They don't get playing time. And they do. End yeah, up I, mean, transferring. I, I mean, I have to believe that, you know, 90% of high school sure. kids, when they go to a school, are thinking, I'm going to be here for a while. But like you said... I don't even know if it's that much, though. I, I do think there is a big portion of high school kids at this point where they go to a school and they say, ah, if it doesn't work out, like, when they're even signing on the dotted letter, they're probably thinking in the back of their head, and if it doesn't work out, I'll hit the transfer portal. I don't yeah, think definitely. you get a lot that are this adamant against that because I do think there are still a lot of players who are like, hey, I want to at least enter the transfer portal because it's cool or because a lot of players are doing it or because I can get a payday off of it. And it's really refreshing to see that kind of go the other way. Could be, yeah. Now, some of the other uh, news from, I guess, over the weekend pertains to, I guess, one, KU losing a player. We already knew that Armaj Reed Adams entered the transfer portal, former guard and tackle for KU. He found a new spot, Texas A&M, which I find very interesting because it shows that he clearly had a lot of interest. We know that Texas A&M has been a school that has kind of flaunted around their yeah. NIL money that's yeah, out there. not afraid to throw, throw around money for sure. Which means you can imagine he's probably getting a good payday. And I think that's kind of but the theme here with also, the players KU's lost. He's going to play for Colin Klein. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. That's yeah. of interest. Yeah. Mike Elko, former yeah. Kansas candidate, as head coach and Duke <laughs> head coach. 0-1 against Kansas, I should say. True. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think that shows, I don't know, it shows a couple things. Uh, one, it shows the idea of, again, going back to when you look at UK who's lost in the portal, it's either been players buried on the depth chart, Will Huggins, Tanaka Scott, uh, Reese Thomas, who's Spencer preferred Lavelle. walk-on, right? Spencer Lavelle. Or it's been players who seem to have gotten an NIL bag. Yes. Now, with, with guys, Armand guys Reed who, Adams... Guys who, I think, probably showed a lot of potential yes. and bigger schools were like, okay, we'll yeah. take that. Now, with Armand Reed Adams, I don't know that for as much as I do with Gage Keys. You know, the Keys one seems to be more publicly floated in terms of what the number kind of out there is, but you can just assume if you kind of connect the dots with, with A&M and, and everything yeah. that they've done. Well, but I, I, think I think it's very interesting because it, it seems like to me... I've always thought of him more as a guard. I think his body type and, and the way he plays, I think he plays better as a guard. But it seems like to me he wants to play tackle more, and I wonder if that went into the decision too, Don't which if, if that's the case, he's betting on himself. He's going to have a chance to prove it because if, if you're going in the SEC as a, as a tackle, it's going to be feast be, or famine. Yeah, you better be ready. If you show out, maybe you turn yourself into a day one or day two NFL draft pick. Well, maybe yeah. not day one, but you know. But if if you make that risk and it doesn't go well, because you're going to be on an island against a lot of good pass rushers in the SEC if yeah, you play tackle. It, it feels kind of like to me right now, and obviously, you know, I'm not in the meetings of Texas A&M or Auburn or some of these other big uh, SEC schools, but just surface level, it seems to me that a lot of these schools are looking at the transfer portal and they just they're looking at measurables. Mm -hmm. They're looking at size, length, you know, potential, and just kind of going based off that, right? Uh, because you know Gage Keys is, is was not a guy who necessarily popped big time. If you were watching tape of KU, same. I mean, with Armando Reed Adams, people would play the, the the Texas Tech play where he goes and smashes a guy, and and he, and he was you know, he's a big dude, so he's hard to miss on tape. But still, the point being, it it's it has felt like to me that some of these bigger schools are looking at other schools and saying, which guys look like they might have a chance to to possibly have big potential to turn it into something, and they're just kind of. Maybe throwing their throwing their money around a little bit for some of those types of players. Yeah. Now the other bit of news was KU had a visitor with Ryan Smith, who was the defensive end from Duke. Pretty good player, I think. Uh, when you look at the PFF grades, more of a run stopper than a pass rusher. I think he had single digit pressures, but was a good run stopper. And clearly, Kansas is looking for more depth, more starter level players on that defensive line. And at the defensive end position after Austin Booker left early for the NFL draft, yep. he decided to withdraw from the transfer portal and go to Duke and, and go back to Duke, I guess I should say, which you're starting yeah, to run so out of time a bit. Who did Duke, Duke hired? Manny Diaz, Manny Diaz right? yeah. which I have not thought he's who, been a good coach. Yeah, who, was, who is hailed as a defensive mind, yeah. but yet his defenses always suck. I, uh, I remember when he was the defensive coordinator at Texas when he was first kind of coming up. And I, he would just blitz, like, all the time. And I remember reading an article. I can't remember. I mean, this was 10, 15 years ago. That it was, like, another coach studied the film on him, like a retired coach or, you know, former coach, whatever, in the media. It was basically, like, I watch all these blitzes, and he's not actually blitzing to do anything. He's just he's just throwing guys into a wall. Like, there is no <laughs> there's no strategy here. Not, not like a, hey, this guy's going to go here. It's going to take up this block, and then this guy will be free. He's just, like, throwing numbers at a wall. And, and ever since then, I've, I've had a critical eye on it. And, like, everywhere he's been, I'm like, 
He's always only the defensive coordinator spot for like one or two years, and then he's a head coach of Miami. He doesn't do well. No, they're not. So I don't know. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Evidently, he must have, you know, presumably convinced, you know, convinced him, hey, I have a vision for you at Duke. You know, stick around. Yep. And Ryan Smith decided to do that. Exactly. So uh, he decided to do that. And what that means for KU is right now it's like a dead period until the weekend because it was like the weekend was open, now dead period over the week, then the weekend. Yeah. Uh, But you can. I, I don't know what the contact rules of what you can and can't do this week are, but basically it comes down to you have this last weekend to kind of get visitors in. KU classes, I believe, start like next week. So yeah. you're on a tight schedule if you want to get the kids enrolled so that they can play in spring ball. Otherwise, you're in a waiting game, and we've seen it before with transfers coming in after spring. Sometimes that adjustment period can take yeah, so a while, I'm trying right? to think. So last season, guys that came in in the summer for transfer for KU, like that. Patrick Joyner, I think, was a summer guy. I don't think he came no, in. No, he was well. He was a spring, but he didn't practice in spring because he was injured. Okay, yeah. Because I was trying so to that's think kind of like, a tweener. I was trying to think of examples of players that came into because basically, if you're if you're thinking, well, crap, KU doesn't have any. I mean, they have they have the Woodkey kid from Youngstown State, but crap, they don't have enough depth in the D line. There's going to be another opening for the transfer portal later in the spring. It's just that those guys you won't have for spring ball. Which Correct. Is kind of a can be a big knock. Obviously. No, the the one that always comes to mind for me is the year before. You're right. I, I want to go back and, and see if I can find someone from last year. But 2022, you brought in Lorenzo McCaskill in the summer. And if yeah, you remember, he was a summer guy. McCaskill was a all-conference was, linebacker at a Louisiana team that two previous years was winning yeah. double-digit games. But it, it took him probably point. half the season, really, before yeah, he started before he was getting on the field significantly. Real snaps. Was yeah. Dylan Brooks a, a summer ad? He might have been. I think that I think was a was. summer ad. Yeah, I think Dylan Brooks. And was obviously, a we, ad. he didn't really get on the field until the bowl yeah. game. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it, you know, it, 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 there's not really any need to be concerned, but there is, you know, reasoning to say, hey, you want to get a guy sure. on in spring. Yeah. All right, one hour down, two to go. Let's get to our Kansas City Chiefs recap next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour on Rock Shock Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to get to some Bill Self audio coming up later in the show. We've got our KU basketball takeaways, too. We're going to also preview the college football playoff national title game, which happens tonight on a snowy Monday night. That one happening down in Houston. Yeah, it's not snowy at the game. Probably a little warmer there. Yeah, Yeah. it's not going to be snowy at the game. It will, yeah. Uh, By the way, it's in a dome anyways, right? Yeah, it is in a dome. Um. Could you imagine if they did have a national championship in the snow, though? Wouldn't it'd be, that be awesome. so much fun. Exactly. No, it'd be awesome. See, that is the one spot I'm actually okay with snow. Is football games? It, just sporting events in general. I guess football is the only one where they would still play. Like baseball, they'd call it off. Right? They've played in I've seen some baseball games in snow. Soccer, I, I don't really care enough. Um, wow. Wow. You just we just lost. No, I just, I we just lost what, all of our soccer listeners based off that comment. No, I I just meant like I don't know that how, what effect does it like. The beauty of the snow with the contact sport, with soccer not being as much of a contact sport, I don't know how much it affects it. I don't know, man. You I watch like some soccer, it... you see guys rolling around in pain. I know, but I feel like if it's a snow game with soccer, it like guarantees it's going to be 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> and that's not what Maybe. I want. Right? I don't know. Whereas if you get a 0-0 zero, zero NFL snow game, it's like, yes. <laughs> I inject it into my veins. So the uh. Chiefs uh, beat the Chargers last night 13-12. to 12. Was, was there any mo- like? How how much did you care about the result of the game? I guess. Uh, well, before the game kicked off, I didn't care at all. But you know, 
I'm, the more you watch. I'm a, I'm a competitor. Sure. You know, I want. I like to see the Chiefs win. I'm. I get. I'm happy when they win. So I was like, Yeah, let's go win. Let's go. I mean, doesn't eleven beat and these six, fraud Chargers? Doesn't eleven these, and six look you know, so much better than ten and six? Yes. You know? Let's go beat off Easton Stick. There was. Uh, there was a moment, though, in the fourth quarter. It was when the Cardinals were losing, or, or no, the, I'm sorry, the Cardinals were winning against the Seahawks. Okay. And I saw something put out there that if the Chargers... Yeah, people were getting mad saying... Yeah. yeah, people were getting mad saying that the Chargers would have a worse draft pick if they would win, basically. Yes, and that if the Chargers lost, they were going to get see, the fourth pick. see, I had a... No, no. People need to understand something. Tanking and that mentality, it's not a problem in the NFL. Okay? No, no, no. It's no. not. No, but hold on. So, them having the fourth pick in a year where the top three teams all might draft quarterbacks, it's the idea that in this specific year, if the Chargers get the fourth pick, as opposed to, say, the fifth or the sixth pick, they could get Marvin Harrison Jr. And I do not want that to happen. So, there was a brief moment in my mind that was flashing, was like, no, we cannot let this happen. Let Blaine Gabbert continue to stink, and then they'll lose the game. And it'll actually be okay, you know? No, but I, it doesn't matter if the Cardinals sub- ended up, whatever, Chargers have the fifth pick. So I don't fine. subscribe to any of those, any any of that, to be honest. But, I mean, if it's you're already bad, what's the difference with one last game? Dude, but again. I see what you're saying over the course of the, the Chargers, season. The tanking, but, like, w- one week. Well, let me ask you this. Did the Chargers bench their starters? No, they were trying to win. Did the Cardinals bench their starters? No, they were trying to win. Sure. Okay? The teams that bench their starters are teams that are already in the postseason. So, bad team. Did the Panthers bench their starters? No. Might as well have. Bad Could've teams are trying to win. It's not an issue. By the way, did you see Adam Thielen since he brought up the Panthers after the game? What did he do? A quick diatribe on this. He, uh, Some reporter caught up with him in the locker room after the game. Adam Thielen, who had a really good year for the yeah, Cardinals. Yeah, he was great on my fantasy uh, or, team. Not the, Card- the Panthers. And... Uh, he said afterwards, like, this was disappointing this season. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, this was disappointing. I don't know how many years I have left, and I want to win a Super Bowl. Chiefs. Dude, you signed a three-year contract with the Carolina Panthers, <laughs> who had the number one pick in the draft. I know they traded up for it, but we're not a good team. No. Why? If your goal, if your goal as a 30 plus whatever how old he is receiver was to win a Super Bowl, why did you sign with the Carolina Panthers when it seemed like the Chiefs did have interest, but once he got the three year deal worth, I don't know, twelve million, whatever he made, he was out of the run. If you really wanted to win a Super Bowl, you should have signed like a one year ten million dollar deal with the Chiefs. Yeah, he's thirty. Drive over. Whatever. Yeah, he's thirty three, by the way. That's your own fault, buddy. Uh is Austin Eckler washed? Yeah, no, he's been washed. Ten carries for eleven yards. Yeah, he's, he's been washed. Kind of a bad year. Yeah, really bad year. And another example of a guy who, oh, I'm a running back. Pay me. Pay me. Then he stinks. Remember when they had the like big Zoom meeting because of Austin Eckler? Yes, he was like season? he was like leading the charge. He ended up having 3.5 yards per carry this year. Yeah. Rough. Rough. Very rough. Yeah. I think the problem is with running backs is like if you're a running back, like if you're a wide receiver or a tight end or like, like Travis Kelsey, for example, if you lose a step as you age – you can still be a productive player. Like Travis Kelsey nearly had a thousand yards this season. Even though objectively you you watch him play and it's like he's he's not as fast mm-hmm. as he was. I and mean, he's he's not as you know, he's not like he was even last year, right? Mm-hmm. Even and receivers, same way. Dude, if you're a running back and you lose a step, it is a steep <laughs> it's over. steep, yeah. steep decline. Yeah. No, there's there's such a quick flip between being Le'Veon Bell all pro to being Le'Veon Bell doesn't do anything as a backup on the Jets and the Chiefs, you know? 
but but you're 100 percent right. Whereas like you think of Jason Witten to go back to the tight end. Yeah, Jason Witten's 40 years old. He's still catching touchdowns. He's not yeah. putting up a thousand yards, and, but and, you know, he's catching key plays. There's, right? You know, there's I mean, yeah. there's, there's receivers that are like that too. Where you know, even if you lose a step a little bit, you can still be a really productive quality player. Yeah, I still think if Deshaun Jackson signed with the Chiefs, he could have a 70 yard touchdown next week. Absolutely. But Gabbert, really bad, man. Yeah, he stinks. Really bad. He's he's horrible. He he. I <laughs> I think he's legit bottom five backup in the NFL. Really, second string. There's no way he's that bad. He, pretty bad. No, there are a lot more bad. good backups than. No, I know there is. I know there is. Because like, think about how many backups had to play this year. A lot, and a lot of them, and a lot of them might bad. take over Blaine Gabbert. I honestly do think that is like one of the Chiefs' big things they need to work on for next offseason. Or, or well, I know because you had the I know luxury. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it's like we've seen Chad Henney have to win against the Browns in the division round. Yeah, have that he had, drive. He had to have a Jags. ninety-seven yard drive. Right. We saw Matt Moore come in for three games and, and go two and one yeah. in the season. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl. It is important, and Blaine Gabbert is horrible. But <laughs> he all of a sudden randomly Got ran the a four forty yeah. on the last drive of the game. Got the W so though. I guess it worked out. Okay, one thing I do want to talk about with the Chiefs series, and I've seen a lot of people kind of saying the same thing about Chris Jones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Chris Jones holds out to start the season, loses a bunch of money, and then at the end of the season, he's going all out in a meaningless game trying to basically win some of that money back. Like, the logic there just does not make any sense. It doesn't. Um, I do think it was it's, – it's a good sign – because the celebration when he had the sack was awesome. The celebration was cool. And he was yeah. unbelievable that game. He had double-digit pressures. Uh, I mean, it took longer than it probably should have for him to get the sack because Easton Stick kept kind of eluding him and stuff. Uh, yeah, for a while of, there, it felt like they the were guy like, who can run a 440. Unbelievable. Easton Stick, man. They were using that dude like Colin Klein. I thought he was going to get 30 yeah. carries in the game. Anyway. Easton, Easton Jackson out there. <laughs> so he, uh, Chris Jones has the sack, and the team has a big celebration. The team seems to, like, I don't know, celebrate him and, and love him and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It's a weird dynamic. It definitely seems like the front office. There's a disconnect there, uh, to a point where like I I don't really expect him to be resigned. The only resigning I, I could see is like franchise tag and trade, um, which is unfortunate because he's a really good player and everything. I mean, you can't Obviously. resign every really good player. That's yeah. why there's salary cap. Sure, but yeah, no, it is. It is. Uh, it, it goes back to. Not just that maybe the Chiefs mismanage it a bit, but that his party mismanage it a bit. Because oh, yeah. The Cats brothers, for sure. You I, see the, the tweet that the, the guy yeah, then then deleted, deleted it? Because Bad they lost optics. him so much money. They really yeah. did. Well, and, I mean, not only that, it really screwed over the Chiefs. Yes. I mean. If you beat the Lions, they're you're fine. the two seed right now. Yes. Like, it really screwed over the Chiefs, too. Mm-hmm. It's Like, this was a, nobody won in this situation. Like, yeah. Chris Jones had to work his ass off at the end of the game just to try to get the incentives of what he was trying to get to begin with. He still end up. He still is going to come out losing money for, uh, on the on the back end, and the Chiefs lost when he didn't play. Nobody won. It was a lose lose situation. Yes, and and on top of it, by not getting that situation settled, like everybody yes, was saying, and it, and they lost DeAndre down, Hopkins. Yeah, they had yeah, to resign Chris Jones or whatever. The money was tied up or whatever. Exactly, yeah. it was tied up to trying to figure out Chris Jones. That's how they would have freed up more money. And because they couldn't do that, like that goes back to the receiver thing too. Sure. Yeah, you can add that in there too. So I mean, as as much as it was, yeah, I, I think that's a very astute point. You know, it it was a a situation made by the beginning of the season, and one yeah. that you have Travis Kelsey sitting, and I mean that's that's I don't know. I 
I get it. Like at the end of the day, like where is the loyalty and, and $1.25 million? Like, heck, if I, if I could play for $1 million, obviously I would do everything in my power to get that done. But it is a little bit of like, you see Travis Kelsey sitting when he's 16 yards shy of a thousand. And it just feels like such a yeah, and team you got, first thing. And you got Chris Jones running around out there trying to get that incentive. Right. So I, I don't know. There, when there you could have had it, you know, five months earlier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it was weird. Hey, I how about your weird. guy, Nicole Hardman, though? Nicole, yeah. 11 oh, targets. No, he was good. He was really good. I'm hoping he, that continues in the playoffs. Six catches for 77. He had that one 37-yard play. Yeah. And, you know, even though Justin Ross didn't really do anything, he had a one pretty cool catch at one point. Ended up with two for 17. So, I don't know, man. I mean, I obviously, like with all the backups playing, do what? I kind of liked LaMichael P. Ryan. Yeah. Also, yeah. Cam Jones, beast. Yeah. Shamari Connor, beast. Also, I don't know how he got let back in the game. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, this was a game where no matter the outcome, it wasn't going to change your opinion on the Chiefs going forward in the playoffs because they were no. benching a lot. They're resting a lot of their guys. But I think you just learned you more go about. Out win. Yeah. Yeah. You do. And and you also, I think, learned more about players that are maybe going to have a bigger impact like next year. Like, again, Shamari Connor, he's started to play a lot of real snaps this yeah. year, but still. You have uh, Jack Cochran, who, again, I thought filled in well. We saw him a lot in that Packers game. Uh, I thought Felix and Yudike Uzama played well. He had two yeah. tackles for loss. And Jay Thompson sacks. made a couple He plays. had a couple flash plays in there. Um, Neil Farrell is gigantic. <laughs> just a big dude. You know who, but no, you know who never ceases to amaze me with just the pure, their pure size? Mm. Derek Nottie. Yeah. That dude is massive. I mean, just a very, very large individual. And I mean that in the most positive yeah. way possible. It's not quite Dontari Poe massive, but... Dude, that guy's big pretty dude. big. Very big dude. Um, I guess the biggest negative to come away from the game might just be the tackle injuries, though. Yeah. Wanya Morris gets yeah. a concussion. We'll see what that means this week. Jawan yeah. Taylor. I don't I don't know what Jawan Taylor injured. Yeah. Got hurt. Yeah, that, that's not ideal. I mean, obviously, your first thought is the, the 2020 season mm-hmm. where you make the Super Bowl, but then the offensive line's terrible and the Bucs just go crazy uh yeah not ideal but you know you're facing a, a Dolphins team you're gonna be facing a Dolphins team that is without a lot of their pass rushers right no Bradley Chubb I think their their second best pass rusher besides Chubb is also out uh his name is yeah uh Jalen uh is it Walker no, no. Jalen Phillips Phillips yeah. that's right Phillips yeah you're right he's really good by he's way. out yeah. also uh so you're hoping maybe that that won't be exposed too much in the game for the Chiefs uh, uh, in terms of their pass rush, if uh, if they're if they have issue question marks at their tackle positions, right? That'll be the the big question. Which, by the way, that game will be on Peacock. Peacock, exciting. But hey, listen, don't panic if you're in the Lawrence or Kansas City area. It'll be on local television. Yes, also. Channel Forty One. It will be yeah, on that. Be on the so NBC. local TV and, yeah. and everything. That is the good news if you're yeah. local. A lot of people were like streaming exclusively, and they say it on the broadcast. Yeah. obviously streaming exclusively on Peacock, which is technically sort of true. But you can watch. You'll be able to watch the game if you don't if you don't have Peacock uh, locally. So you'll still be able to watch. Hypothetically, it. So, if if we did not get it on the local channel, okay, would you pay for Peacock? Yeah, of course. Okay, it's like six bucks. I know, and I can cancel it. Well, I already have if it. If I want, but in a hypothetical yeah, also, world, I kind of want to send the services? message to the man and be like, I'm not, and just go somewhere else to uh, watch the game. Of all the streaming services, yeah. Peacock, I think, is actually like it's pretty actually good. a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah I, I like agree. It. Pretty good one. I got it so with like, some other deal that that I did. Yeah. I've so if you don't have it and you're like, oh crap, I gotta pay six bucks to yeah. watch the Chiefs, like 
You might end up liking what you, you, you know, other stuff on there. I don't know. I don't. Maybe they even have like a free week trial where you just sign up and then cancel it and you get the yeah, game. Yeah, you can do that too. I will say, though, the, I think the playoff path, this actually ended up being about the worst case scenario. I will say, I, I don't yeah, think I mean, when I yeah, say I that, guess. it is less about the wild card game. I want to get this clear because I, I posted something on social media about this. And I got a bunch of people being like, oh, what's the big difference between playing the Dolphins and the Steelers? That's not why I'm saying this. Because in theory... I think the Dolphins are a better team than the Steelers. I'm you actually, agree with that, right? Well, I'm actually more nervous right now, though, about this game because a lot of the pundits are already coming out and saying the Dolphins have sure. a chance, it's going to be cold, they're not going to play. That makes me nervous. I don't like it. It does. I don't like that. It does. But also, again, uh, uh, the idea of playing in zero-degree weather. For the Dolphins. For the Dolphins <laughs> and for Tua specifically. Sure. Is, is very bad. Also, we need to talk about something else. Huh? Tyreek was bad. In the yeah, he had a couple of big drops. He was bad. What's up with that? Like he was objectively no, that, not that's good. That's the worry for me, though. It's that Tyreek Hill goes off in a revenge game. They did a good job against him in the game in Germany. So we'll yeah, see. I mean, Legarius Sneed just beat him up, and he couldn't do anything. Sure, but yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Like I I don't know that I trust Tua in a cold weather game like this. No. Uh, also, honestly, like low key, I I don't know. I, I I still don't really know how good Tua is. Is he like a top twelve quarterback? Is yeah. he okay? But he just has good scheme and what I don't know. Um, in yeah, no. Theory, I, I think Steelers would have I been think, able to better handle the weather. I would have rather played the Steelers because still the offense stinks for them, and TJ Watt know, might Mason be out. Rudolph, I know, but Mason TJ Watt probably going to be out. Still, regardless, it, it's less about the wild card game to me. It's the playoff path moving forward from there. No, I get it. If you win this game, assuming Buffalo beats Pittsburgh, which I would be pretty shocked if they didn't, you would then be going at Buffalo. Correct. And we already know that Buffalo has played the Chiefs well. And typically beats them in the regular season. Now the Chiefs have had their number in the postseason. But they haven't but, had to go on the road in the postseason. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. And then even if you win that one, you're likely at Baltimore. Baltimore could lose in the division round. Absolutely. The Browns, I think, could definitely sure. beat Baltimore. Absolutely. It could already beat them once this season. But the most likely scenario would be at Baltimore if you're just playing the percentages. That would be a pretty brutal playoff path just to get to the Super Bowl. Versus Miami, at Buffalo, at Baltimore. Because up until Joe Flacco going off, you would argue that those were the three teams with the best chance to win the AFC outside of the Chiefs. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So it's definitely it's definitely not ideal. Part of me does kind of want the Chiefs to go on the road at Buffalo, though. because And get a win it would just be awesome. at the Mahomes. I mean, it would just be awesome. Hasn't played a road playoff now, game. Now, as, as awesome as it would be, it would be equally terrible if they went to Buffalo and, and like lose. just got blasted or just, you know, the Bills win. Because then that would be <laughs> such a big narrative. Yeah, so it's it's... It's tough, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, kind of my thought is like, based on how the Chiefs have played this season, you you could you could talk yourself into any path being difficult for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're at a, they're, they they have it's not like they've played inspiring football <laughs> for a good chunk of the season to where you know you feel really good about them. So I think I think you could talk yourself into like I I certainly if it was the Steelers. Dude, by Thursday or Friday, I would have talked myself into the Steelers winning by 20 points over the Chiefs. So uh, you you can talk yourself into any situation, I think, with when it comes to the Chiefs this season just because of how kind of rough the offense has been and, and whatnot. So I do like the matchup against the Dolphins, though, obviously in the cold and all that. And then beyond that, I think we'll just see what happens, right? I mean, this is a this is a season for the Chiefs where – this is so. This season for the Chiefs is, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of what a lot of people expected last season for the Chiefs to be. Mm-hmm. Sort of a, a a season that was more of a struggle with no Tyreek last season, 
and maybe you need to recalibrate your expectations for instead of the Super Bowl, maybe they'll just make the playoffs, and that's as far as they get or whatever. Now, this season has kind of unfolded in such a way where that seems to be kind of the case to where you're in the playoffs, you beat Miami, great, and then I guess go from there, right? If you have to go out Buffalo, whatever. Try to get a win. But the Steelers, I'm telling you, sneaky. Sneaky okay. Steelers. So you're looking out for them. Are but they going to beat the like, Bills? I don't know. Probably not. There is a part of me, too, that was actually Dude, thinking. Josh Allen, he's terrible. He's simultaneously machine. terrible, but awesome at the same time, but terrible also. <laughs> Chris Collinsworth was really pissing me off last night, actually. He was really pissing me off. Because he just kept being like, oh, this guy, all he does is win. Oh, oh those what does he want? What has he won? Nothing. Except for like four divisional, four straight divisional championships That's in the something. AFC East. But he's done nothing else. Nothing. Oh, all he does is win. Win what? Wins a lot of games. No. Statistically. No. Percentage. He, he was making me mad. I was mad. He's an angry Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's uh, preview the college football playoff national title happening tonight. That on the other side with RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We get to our KU basketball takeaways coming up here. We also are going to get to some Bill Self audio. As far as our uh, sports schedule for the rest of the week, we don't have anything going on tonight. We originally were supposed to have Bill Self Hawk Talk. That has been canceled due to the inclement weather. Tomorrow, we are scheduled to have a Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider at 6 o'clock, which, by the way, things have uh, taken a turn for the worst for the KU women's team. Yeah. Now 7-7, seven another, seven, another loss, and yeah. now playing number 6 Baylor. Yeah. So looking like they're going to be below 500 as of uh, Wednesday night. Yeah. Speaking of it, we'll be airing that game here on KLWN. KU uh, men's game will have pregame starting at 4.30. That coverage will start on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. Then at 6 o'clock tip-off, we'll be airing the entirety of the game over on 105.9 KISS. We will scoot out of the way of that coverage on KLWN for KU women's basketball at 6.15 for pregame tip-off at 6.30. Then we have uh, High School Sports Weekly, the return at 6 o'clock on Thursday on right here on KLWN with uh, Mama's Tamale Shop, our gracious host. Best Mexican food in Lawrence. Friday, scheduled for high school basketball. Lawrence High at Mill Valley. Uh, girls game 5.30, boys game after that. But, again, with the inclement weather scheduled for later this week, we'll see if that ends up happening. Preliminarily, though, that is on the schedule. Saturday, KU men's basketball. Pre-game 11.30 on 105.9 KISS and KLWN. Tip-off at 1 o'clock. Then we have KU women's basketball on Saturday at 6.15. Tip-off 6.30. We are going to be airing Westwood One coverage of the NFL playoff game with the Chiefs. So if you don't have Peacock and you don't have access to local channel 41, you'll be able to listen to the end of that game after the KU women's game ends on KLWN. Sunday, we'll be airing Westwood One NFL playoff coverage at 11.30, 3.15, and 7 o'clock. So plenty of sports opportunities coming at you later this week with RCST. Uh, by the way, I just saw this from uh, Ross Dellinger, who uh, apparently the college football playoff board did not adopt to move to a 5-plus-7 12-team playoff format. I saw that. But that the college football playoff chair, Mark Keenum, says he'd be, quote, shocked if that is not eventually approved. So then why isn't it already been approved? That's yeah, what I don't, I don't understand. So is, it, so is the college football playoff board, is that the same board that's the committee, or are they separate? I don't think so. I think those are separate. Okay. Because I already am in favor of just nuking the committee and saying sure. goodbye committee. And if we have to nuke the board also, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. I'm down with that. 
I just don't understand why this is taking so long. Like, <laughs> why have they who not approved not a, this yeah, stuff? I mean, yet? who? Yeah, who is mad? We about technically it? still don't know the format of the playoff. Um, but if it does happen, they said it would be five automatic qualifiers to highest ranked champs, seven at large to next highest ranked teams. Yep. The top four champs get buys. So have you thought about that at all? That Kansas or one of these teams could win the Big Twelve and not and not have a buy. No, and have a buy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they would be like the four seed. Yeah. Isn't that wild to think about? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess it depends on how things take out. You go 11 and 2 in the Big you, 12 and get the four seed. I think you have to assume that, like, the, the Big Ten and the SEC. is probably going to be like a Liberty. Yeah. I mean, okay, so let's just think this through. Yeah. You have to assume that the Big Ten and the SEC will be the two highest ranked, probably, probably conference champs. Mm-hmm. But then with no Pac 12, it then comes down to basically the Big 12, the ACC, and the American. Yeah. Or, or I guess Conference USA or whatever. Sun Belt, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, you have a pretty good chance of being ranked higher. Even the three seed. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. All right, our uh, KU basketball takeaways after they took down TCU, 83-81 to on Saturday. Start here. What is the biggest positive from the Jayhawks' win over TCU? Yeah, I think the biggest positive for me was probably KJ Adams. We didn't. I don't think we talked about him enough earlier in the show with how he played. Uh, guy had a double-double. Mm-hmm. 18 points, 10 rebounds. You know, we always we always want to talk about, oh, Hunter Dick is a double-double. Kevin McCuller, double-double. Let's give some love to KJ Adams here. And six on the offensive glass. Yeah, 18 points, 10 rebounds, 7 of 8 from the floor, uh, two steals as well. And we saw him against Wichita State with the assist numbers. He only had one assist in this game, but I think that just kind of maybe shows his versatility even more, right? He has, an awesome, has a couple awesome dunks. Uh, and he's just he's just an all-around player that you can rely on to do whatever needs to be done. And I think when you think about March Madness, when you think about winning a national championship, which is obviously the goal for this Kansas team, you need a player that can just get stuff done, that just gets the job done. It may not always be the prettiest, it may not always be, you know, whatever, but he just he's just a player. He's just a basketball player that gets it done. And KJ Adams has proven that he can do that time in and time out, no matter what the scenario is, no matter who the opponent is, he just gets it done. And uh, for him to have a big game like this against against TCU was really, I was really happy to see that. So, KJ Adams, I think, was my biggest positive because he's been, you know, he's been quietly putting up pretty good numbers as kind of the third option, basically behind McCuller and At and Dickinson. Uh, but I wanted to put the spotlight on him for this game. Hunter Dickinson had 30 points, 11 rebounds, yeah, eight offensive rebounds. KU had 16 offensive rebounds compared to TCU having. 17 defensive rebounds. You yep. basically had almost as many on the offensive glass as they had defensive. That is why KU won the game, because they were able to win back those possessions that they kept giving away with turnovers. Yeah, and the rebounding overall just was a big positive also. Yeah. I mean, we were plus 12 on the glass against a team that was a top 40 rebounding team, really, on both sides of the ball. And specifically that offensive rebounding. That was your best offensive rebounding game of the year. But yeah, Hunter Dickinson, 30 points, 11 rebounds, one steal. He was 13 of 20. From the floor, 11 of 17 from two. He hit a couple like mid-range shots. He goes two of three from three. He hits the two clutch free throws late to tie the game. He hits yep. the game-winning shot. Yep. He, to me, is is the biggest positive, uh, though I, I do agree that K.J. Adams, you know, kind of unsung hero here. Um, outside of that, I would I, I would say a little bit of KU's, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to say this because I, I think it divvies out into two ways. KU's transition defense... But the caveat of when they weren't giving the ball away on turnovers, right? When they gave the ball away on the live ball turnovers, that led to a lot of easy points for TCU. Yeah. 
But when you were just allowing them to have transition plays on non-turnovers, I thought you did pretty good. Yeah, well, and listen, TCU's half-court offense, they didn't have a half-court offense. I mean, when you forced them to play in the half-court, their offense was either Tennyson jack up a three. Which did work. Which did work a lot. Or Jameer Nelson step-back mid-range jumper, which did work a lot. Sure, fine. But they weren't running a lot of sets. I wasn't very impressed with their half-court offense. No, it wasn't wasn't a lot of, like, great looks. It was just players making plays. Yeah. I I think was was a good way to put it. Um, But, yeah, they, they had 22 points off turnovers. You only had eight. So they dominated the game there. But... Fast break points, they only beat you 14 to 10. And we talked about this coming into the game. They were averaging 25 fast break points per game. So you held them to 14. So honestly, your transition defense was pretty good as long as you weren't turning the ball over. Unfortunately, yeah. you did turn the ball over a good amount. Um, I'd also say this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, KU did really well with the scoring inside. Um, they shot 59% on two-point shots. TCU was at 50%. KU also had 42 points in the paint. TCU had 30. So that was another big positive for KU in the game. But I, I think the overall biggest positive, right, it, it just has to be that you won the game. You found yeah. a way to win the game. We've talked a lot about this last week. KU's schedule over the last 10 games puts a lot of pressure on these first eight games to have a really strong record. Be 7-1. and one, Be 8-0. Yeah. And for you to have suffered a loss, if you would have in your first Big 12 game, would have felt like you have used up your... Your one kind of I yeah. don't know hurdle I mean, or given, stumble. You can yeah, have. given how Houston is is playing right now, you need to be seven and one at least, probably. I mean, to have a chance. Yeah. What is the biggest negative from the game? I mean, I think the biggest negative it's 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 got to be the turnovers, right? It's got to be the turnovers. A eighteen turnovers in the game for KU, sixteen just, of which were TCU steals. Yeah, just just yeah, and that was the other part. It wasn't just that you were turning it over; it was. Something you that you had mentioned even back on Friday, it was live ball turnovers that then TCU was able to turn into opportunities quickly at the other end. Again, twenty-two uh, to eight points off turnovers. Yeah, so just a just just it, it was rough. It was rough. Uh, it, it really disrupted KU's rhythm. Uh, again, Dewan Harris five turnovers in the game. Uh, I, I continue to kind of harp on the idea of he needs to be a floor general. He needs to be the, he needs to be the guy controlling the tempo of the game, and he was not doing that in this game against TCU. Uh, I think TCU was controlling the tempo pretty much throughout, uh, which maybe makes it that much more impressive that KU did win. But, yeah, man, you're not going to be able to win five consecutive games in March uh, if you're if you're turning over at that rate. So that is a bit of a concern and a pretty big negative, I would say, uh, from this game for KU. But they did they had a lot of other things that they did, that they did positively that offset that and still allowed them to win the game. But, uh, yeah, a bit concerning. That is without a doubt the biggest negative. So yeah. I, I don't need to reiterate that. But just to add uh, another one out there, secondary to that one, the, the other side of it, KU not forcing steals and turnovers. Oh, okay. You know, we, you we talked watch. about coming into the game. TCU was was not a great team at avoiding turnovers, was not a great team at avoiding getting the ball stolen from them. They weren't, like, bad at it, but they weren't. They're, they're basically, you know, nationally average Nationally below average at both. It was an opportunity for you to get some steals. You only had five of them, right? And we've talked about this throughout the season. KU has the personnel to be a good steal team. They're just not doing it, you know? I I don't know if it has to do with the lack of depth on the team. And so guys like Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller, who typically get a ton of steals, 
are having to do so much for you on offense and having to play so many minutes that they don't have the exerted energy to be able to get those steals. I don't know if it has to do with just the way they're playing schematically this year. Maybe it's a little bit different with the personnel that it's not allowing them to do that. I don't know if it's just they're just, you know, it's just a switch is going to flip at some point, but you didn't get it in this game. And uh, certainly in a game where they forced a ton of turnovers, it would have been nice if you forced a ton of turnovers to kind of get that stuff back, but you didn't really. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to actually mention the, the bench, right? I think another negative, not a big negative, but a negative. Yeah, I was going to actually put that in neutral. Really? Which would be our next one. Okay. You want to go there now? But it, it, well, uh, let me let me add one more for negative. I, yeah. I do think from an individual player perspective, uh, Marco Jackson has to be right. Yeah. I thought Marco played his best game of the season against Wichita State, and progress isn't always linear, especially for freshmen. Sometimes the biggest difference between freshmen and juniors are just is just the consistency. And... There's going to be times where Marco looks good. There's going to be times where he looks bad. The hope is that the overall is on the way up, even when there's games that go down, that, that overall it is trending up. And hopefully that's the case here. But, yeah, 24 minutes where you have zero points, two assists compared to uh, one turnover, two rebounds, 0 for 4 from the floor, and you're a negative 6 on plus minus. Uh, that's a struggle. It's tough. Yeah. So that would be that. But yeah, uh, neutral. So as you were mentioning here with the bench. So you think the bench is more of a neutral? Yes, because so Timberlake and Furphy, as I talked about earlier, nine points, four rebounds, blocking a steal in 21 minutes on three of five shooting. That's that's solid enough, right? Parker Brown, I don't think was like, did anything great coming off the bench, but he also had that nice block. He had an assist, you know? Um, yeah, he did, McDowell he didn't have wasn't any really points. out there. <laughs> Parker Brown didn't have any points, didn't have any rebounds, didn't right. even attempt the shot. And, and so I, the the impact is very minimal. So from that standpoint, it's kind of a negative. But from the positive perspective, those threes that Timberlake and Furphy hit in the second half were both big shots, kind of midway through the second half. So I, I'd be fine putting it as a neutral. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I continue to view it through the lens of, gosh, KJ Adams had to play 38 minutes. Gosh, Hunter Dickinson played 35 minutes. Dewan Harris played nearly 39 minutes. Kevin McCullough played 38 minutes. Like that, I guess that's kind of the lens that I'm viewing it from. It's like, man, you didn't, you didn't get enough sustained minutes to where you could get your top guys real rest. And, and again, I just feel like that's got to add up as the season goes on. It might, it might. Uh, I, I think other neutral that that maybe sticks out, Dewan Harris for me. Because 10 points, 8 assists, 3 rebounds, that's a good line. 3 of 7, that's fine efficiency. Uh, he hits the the shot that puts you up 81-79 before they tie it, and then Hunter goes down and, and hits the game-winning shot. Yeah. He, I uh, mean, dude, if you can get 10 points and 8 assists right. every game from Dewan, Absolutely that would be awesome. You'd be That'd be fantastic. Yeah. But then you get the 5 turnovers. Then you get kind of just the... The general lack of control mm-hmm. of the offense and the tempo of the game, right? That that kind of see break, drags that down. I also don't think it's been nearly as good of a Dewan Harris defensive year this year. Yeah. Um, looking at the Tennyson points, which you can attribute either seven or ten of them which, to Dewan guarding him. Do you remember Bill Self made this comment, maybe even in the preseason, about the idea of he was talking specifically about Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller of hey. We may be switching these guys off to the best offensive players for the team to try to rest them, right? Or try to, you know, not, you know, 
I say rest, basically like rest in game, right? Where mm-hmm. you give them a, a basically a possession where they're not guarding the number one guy. Uh, and I I don't know. Obviously, I don't know this because I'm not in practices with those guys and whatnot. But I I almost wonder if there isn't some sort of communication between self and and like Dewan and Kevin of you know, hey guys, maybe don't full throttle it on defense for the whole game. You're you're too, especially for someone like Kevin right now. You're too valuable on the offensive end. We need you to be to have be fresh enough to be able to score in games. I just I just have to wonder about that a little bit. If there's not if there's not some sort of internal communication of, hey, maybe just don't go full throttle every possession on defense throughout the whole game. I, I don't know. That's just me speculating. I don't know because to your point, Dwayne Harris's defense has not been nearly as good, and there's not really a real explanation for it and when there's no explanation for it you start just trying to kind of think of stuff as to reasons why that might be the case sure and uh just doing a quick you know search into the box scores from the last couple of years so so far this year Dewan Harris has like the steal numbers just haven't quite been there as much he had zero steals in this game and I know that's not the BL end all like uh just play good defense it doesn't necessarily have to be a steal but with Dewan that's part of the the idea that he is creating chaos, that it is going to lead to some steals where, you know, you're going to get out in the open court and you're going to be able to run off of it and you're going to be able to get kind of easy buckets off of it. And that hasn't really happened as much this year. So I went back and looked. Um, so far this year, Dewan Harris has had four games where he's had zero steals. He's also had five other games where he's had one steal or less. Uh, exactly. So you total it up, that means he's had he's had nine games this season with one or less steals. Last season, would you like to take a guess how many times that happened? Quite a bit, I would think, right? Five with zero, six with one. So last season, he had 11 times over the course of the year where he had one or less steals. He's already got nine this year and you're basically halfway through your schedule. Yeah. So the numbers have clearly been different. So I think from that standpoint and the turnovers and in a game where you – it's not just that he had the five turnovers. Like the rest of the team had 13 turnovers, so the rest of the team was turning over too. But that's the idea. He's supposed to be the example and the guy that's calming everything down to keep it down. So I thought overall there were a lot of positives for Dwan Harris. I don't think yeah. that, that's why he's biggest neutral. I mean, I, again, part of this. 10 points, 8 assists. Take that to the bank. Sure. Every night, every every game, if you can. But then, ooh, five turnovers. Ooh, you didn't really dictate tempo or control the pace of the game at all. Ooh, and you're supposed to be the floor general, basically. You know, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be an extension of Bill Self on the floor. Yep. Uh, what would you say was the KU play of the game? Oh man, I mean, you look at, I mean, speaking of Dewan Harris, you got mm-hmm. the layup there that put him up towards the end. You got the Hunter Dickinson layup to win the game. There was, uh, I, I really, I really loved the alley oop from mid court from Kevin McClure to KJ Adams that happened earlier in the game. Uh, that was a really awesome play. KJ Adams had a couple other dunks. Hunter Dickinson had a put back dunk at one point. Uh, I mean, considering it was a game winning shot, it's kind of hard to go against Hunter Dickinson, mm. right? Making the game winning shot. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I should mention this as a quick side one for neutral that I forgot to add. The KU defense, because by points allowed per possession, it was KU's worst game of the year. But I think when you look at the context, TCU shot really well, and a lot of that was because of the turnovers. So I think overall neutral there. But yeah, uh, th- those are all good plays. 
I would say the Timberlake three when you were down 52-50 with around 14 minutes was big. The Dickinson sidewind pass to to line it into the corner to Timberlake, who then dishes the furfew, hits a three to go up 58-57 with 12-30 left. Those were big. McCuller had a steal and score yeah, when you were down a, three. That was a big moment, too, actually. Yeah. Because yeah. it was 64-59, well, I think. Well, 65-60. Oh, you 65, got a bucket. And then, yeah, the, and then the there was a score. quick six points mm-hmm. from TC, from KU that called that forced TCU to call timeout. Yes, um, Ernest Uday smacking Hunter Dickinson in the face. That turned out to be a pretty big play <laughs> in the game. Hunter Dickinson hitting both free throws. That was sure. pretty big. Sure. Um, honestly, for a specific play type, I just noticed this at least three times. It might have been more. Specifically when when Uday was on Dickinson, he was trying to front him. There were at least three buckets that KU got on just throwing it over Uday, Dickinson sealing him off, yeah. and hitting it, including that's how they, the game winner. That, well, and that's how they scored their first points of the it game, is. too. It, it was 0-0. They yeah. throw it into him. They did it like at least that. three times, specifically just Dickinson on Uday. So yeah. that was a big play for KU. Do you have one that, that sticks out the most? Like I said, I really like the, the alley-oop from midcourt from Kevin McCuller uh, yeah. to to KJ. But, I mean, again, how do you not go with the game winner? Yeah. Hunter Dickinson. I'm good with that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.